Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now this morning, I'm going to be talking to you today about one of the great men of the Bible, one of my favorites, which is Moses. And we're going to kind of get the backstory, but we're going to camp out really on that burning bush scenario with Moses. So if I'm going to talk about Moses, I want to give you some of that backstory. You know, why were the Israelites in Egypt in the first place and in slavery? Well, it all started with Joseph, uh, one of the brothers that, of Jacob, and he was the favorite, and so his other brothers hated him. And as Joe mentioned last week, Judah kind of came up with the plan to sell the brother into slavery instead of killing them. And well, anyway, through, through uh, various events, Joseph ends up interpreting the dreams of the king, the pharaoh for Egypt. And so he interprets there's going to be seven years of plenty and there'll be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh puts him in charge. He's second in charge over all of Egypt. And because of those years of famine, he makes Pharaoh more powerful and more wealthy than ever before. Read with me in Genesis 47, 20 through 21. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. This is the word of the Lord. So we have this this strong king, this Pharaoh, with Joseph in second in command. But time marches on, and that generation passes away. And the Israelites, though, continue to grow and multiply in Egypt. But then we have a new king. We have a new pharaoh that comes to power who is the pharaoh over all of Egypt. And let's hear what happens with this new pharaoh. Now, there was a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, The people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. So time has marched on for this generation. You know, it's easy to forget the other generations. Just a couple of generations before, Joseph was the second in command. You know, my generation, when I was growing up, you know, we, we played outside till dark. We didn't really have video games. The biggest issues at school were smoking or skipping class. We only had one phone, and it was black, but it had a long cord, and we could stretch it around a corner into another room and talk quietly with our girlfriend. TV. There was no cable TV. We had ABC, NBC, and CBS. And don't get stuck with your mom and dad watching Lawrence Welk. It would never end. There was no cell phones. 
I remember when the first microwave came out. And my mom was scared to death. She goes, don't go over to the neighbor's house. They have a microwave. You'll get radiation. <laughs> there was no internet. You know, and if a kid had showed up in our neighborhood wearing a bike helmet, we'd have laughed ourselves silly. And I think of my father's generation. My dad and my mom both grew up um, during the, the Great Depression. My father and my uncle both served in World War II. And there were these quotes, these things that they would instill in me, work hard and don't worry about the credit. There's a lot of competition in that area. Be wise with your money. Don't spend more than you make. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Be kind to those that are less fortunate. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Parents, those are the things that we need to be teaching our kids today. What are the values that you're instilling in them? You know, they learn so much just by watching us. And now as a grandparent, I look back and I'm amazed at how fast the time went by. But if you teach them now, it'll serve them well in the future. So this new Pharaoh, this new king, doesn't know Joseph, doesn't remember Joseph. And because this Pharaoh fears the Israelites, he orders that all the Hebrew babies should be killed. But Moses' parents hid him. And the scripture tells us in Exodus 2, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. So she saw that he was a fine child. The New Living Translation said she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Now, I have yet to meet a mother who doesn't think their baby is beautiful and special. I know my own son, Christian, when he was born, he looked a little bit like Yoda. He was all red-faced and wrinkly, and I thought he was the most beautiful and special child I'd ever seen. But I am amazed at Moses' mom, and I'm amazed at her trust in the Lord. When she could hide him no longer, she places him in this basket in the river, and she puts him in the Lord's hands. It's a good example for us. What do you need to put in the Lord's hands? Is it a prodigal son or daughter, a marriage, your finances, your health? Right now, I'm dealing with an insurance company. I have a procedure that I need to have, but my insurance company keeps denying it. And I would expect more from this insurance company. I've had five, I'm on my fifth appeal with them. And, and I would expect more because in their logo, they have a blue cross. But I'm not going to mention the name. But I've had to take and put that in the Lord's hands. And this is, this is kind of my thought process. All right, Lord, I'm putting this in your hands. You can get this appeal approved. Or you can heal me, and I wouldn't need it. 
or you can provide the finances and then I'll pay for it that way. Or we could just have the rapture. Amen? I don't have to worry about it. And I know he can take care of it because he is a God of miracles. And he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And so Moses' mom puts Moses in this basket in the river. And the story goes on to say that Pharaoh's daughter is going to the river to bathe and she hears the baby and she, she rescues the baby. And Moses' sister has been following along, watching. And she says, would you like me to get a woman to nurse the baby for you and when it's weaned, bring it back? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, do that. And so Moses' mom has given her baby into the Lord's hands and the Lord has almost immediately given that baby back to her. And now she's able to, to raise it, to nurse it, and then give it to Pharaoh's daughter to raise. And the interesting thing is, now the baby is truly saved. He won't be killed. He'll grow up in this royal family, in this royal household. He'll be part of the ruling class. But we see that as Moses grows up, he then becomes drawn to his people. In Exodus 2, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses is aware of his lineage. He knows his people. He identifies with the Hebrew people. And when he witnesses this injustice, this Egyptian beating one of his people, he takes the matters into his own hands, and he kills the man. Now, have you ever thought or have you ever looked at your own sin and said, well, how can I be forgiven? God can never use me. We need to remember that Moses, one of the great leaders of the Bible, was at first a murderer. Now, there were consequences. But how many times do we take things into our own hands? I have a habit of counseling God. I will say, Lord, this is the way this should be handled. This is what we should do. Lord, I know you are sovereign, but there should never be a but in that sentence. God is sovereign. And his ways are always best. Our job is, just like Moses' mom, to put it in his hands, to pray. And his answer may be yes or no or not yet. But we should trust in the Lord, knowing that his ways are best. Trust in the Lord, knowing his ways are best. And I know it's hard. So many times... I've wanted to take care of things in my own strength, and I've done that. And when I do, I will pay the consequences for those actions. So we see that Pharaoh finds out that Moses has killed this Egyptian, and Moses has to run for his life. That's his consequence. He has to run and get out of the country, and he ends up in Midian. And Moses rescues Jethro's daughters from other shepherds. They were trying to block them from watering their sheep. And he makes sure that all of their sheep are watered. And Jethro was the priest of Midian. 
And it must have been a constant problem for Jethro's girls because as he come, they come back, he questions, he's like, why are you back so early? And they said, well, this Egyptian rescued us from the other shepherds. So he says, well, we'll go get him, bring him home. So Moses ended up in the home of Jethro, and Jethro gives him his daughter Zipporah as his wife. And they eventually have a son. Moses names him Gershom. And the scripture says she gives birth to a son, and he calls his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So Moses has settled in Midian. But meanwhile, back in Egypt, God hears Israel's groaning. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw and God knew. God knows what we're going through. Have you ever wondered, does God hear me? Is, is he really listening? Does he see what's happening to me right now? The answer is yes. God sees you. And God knows you. And he does have timing, and his timing is perfect. <laughs> but it's been said that his timing's perfect, but he's never early. There's a lot of truth to that. In my life, I can see how God used circumstances, used hard times to mold and shape me. And I grow in those hard times. I don't like it at the time, but God does use it. And I know in a group of this size that, that someone's going through a hard time. Experiencing a death in the family or a separation, a divorce, a child is on drugs or is living far away from God. And in my own valley, it was very dark. I won't mention the circumstance because I don't want to trigger anyone today, but I'm basically a happy person. I am that eternal optimist when I was going through this, I can remember my mom saying, but you're, you're my happy child. But this event crushed my spirit. And I, I could never understand someone wanting to take their own life. And although I had no plan to take my life, at my lowest point, I asked God just to take me home. Because I didn't want to face the pain of another day. Like the Israelites my soul was groaning. I think of that famous poem, The Footprints in the Sand, where they, they talk about the Lord walking along the side of you, and there's two sets of footprints, and then at one point, there's only one set, and that's where the Lord carries you. And I know that the Lord carried me through that time in my life. And as bad as it was, it gave me a compassion and an empathy for others that are going through painful circumstances. It actually made me a better counselor. And in God's timing, he redeemed and he restored all that was broken because God sees me and God knew what I was going through. Whatever you're going through, God sees you. God knows you. 
And it may be very dark, but he's with you. And he can redeem and restore all the areas of your life. Now Moses is in the backside of the desert. And he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Don't you think Moses thought, well, this is it. This is my lot in life. I'm out here in the desert. I blew it. I took matters into my own hands. So I had to escape. This is all I can expect my life to be. Have you ever felt that way? Like I've hit the wall. This is the best I can hope for. God is through with me. Moses was about 80 years old at this time, tending his father-in-law's sheep. Estimated he'd been there for about 40 years. He still didn't have his own sheep. But we are never too old for God to use us. We're never too old for God to use us. Winston Churchill became the prime minister of the United Kingdom at the age of 62. After failing for many years in politics, he struggled in school. He failed a sixth grade, Winston Churchill. But we see that he later on won a Nobel Prize, and who can forget the way he led England through World War II? What about old Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken? Colonel Sanders left school at 13. He lost more jobs than he kept. He basically retired at 65. He had a little bit of savings, and he had his Social Security. He borrowed some money, and he said, you know, I am a good cook. I'm going to fry some chicken and sell it door to door. That became Kentucky Fried Chicken. By the time he was 88, he was a billionaire. You're never too old. My mom is 91. She has yet to retire. She still goes into our family business. We do have her down to only seven days a week. And she drives herself to work. There's a specific lane she gets in. She goes, Dean, if you get in this lane, you don't have to change lanes. You can go all the way to the store. And she doesn't drive at night, and she doesn't make left turns. Unless it's to go shopping, then a miracle occurs. <laughs> but we're never too old. We're never too uneducated. We're never too unhealthy. We're never too anything for God to use us. No excuses. Which leads us to Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. Read with me. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now we're going to see that Moses has this long conversation with God. It's one of the longest recorded in the Bible. And the sad part of this long conversation is that Moses doesn't handle it very well. So I call Moses the reluctant leader. Moses is on holy ground. And he's talking with the God of the universe. And he's basically telling him, you've got the wrong guy. When we read on, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Now, this is God talking to Moses, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Can you really picture this scene? You're talking with the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent God, but you're saying, I think you should pick someone else. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable here. I, I help the sheep to graze. I get them water. It's not a fancy life, but, but it's comfortable. It's safe. And Lord, I know Egypt. I grew up in Egypt. And God, Pharaoh is one of the most powerful people in the world. You don't just waltz into Egypt and rescue an entire workforce without a fight. And last time I checked, Pharaoh wanted to kill me. This is too hard. It's too uncomfortable. The truth is that God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. Our character is built doing hard things. We learn obedience and perseverance in the struggle. Our faith is made stronger. We learn that all things are possible with God. And look back at that verse 12. God says, but I will be with you. You know, that statement alone should have ended any argument or objection from Moses when God says, I will be with you. You remember when you were little and you had your dad with you? So you knew you were totally safe. I mean, like the neighborhood bully could be right there, and you could stick your tongue out at him. There's nothing he could do, because Dad is here. Well, this is God, and God is with Moses. It should have been enough. But Moses has another objection. In Exodus 3, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. The great I am, the God you worship, the one who sees you, who hears your cries for help. I love the simplicity of it. I am. As our creator, he he is all. He is everything. There are not enough titles 
in the world to encompass all that God is. And have you noticed that people that are comfortable in their position, they don't need the fancy titles? I've got a friend of mine that's a cardiologist, he's been a cardiologist for years, and I always introduce him by his first name. And if he's introducing himself, he introduces himself by his first name. He doesn't say doctor so-and-so. We had a counseling association, and there were a lot of PhDs on there, and uh, Dr. Elizabeth Wofford, who's from our church, was also on there. And she stopped me as I was trying to be respectful and say doctor to everybody. And she said, Dean, just, just call me by my name. Just, just call me Elizabeth. Don't say Dr. Wofford. My wife has pointed out that men seem a lot more concerned about titles than women. And I think I would have to agree with that. As men, you know, we have this need for respect. And for many of us, our identity is, is so wrapped up in our profession. And I'll give you an example. My nephew, Robbie, is home from college and he has a summer job. So I said, Robbie, what are you, what are you doing this summer? And he said, well, I'm a landscape engineer. I said, you are? He goes, yep, landscape engineer. I said, so what exactly does a landscape engineer do? He said, well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked me that. He said, I operate a manual excavator for design implementation. Wow, landscape engineer, and you operate a manual excavator for design implementation. That's amazing. What's exactly involved in that? Well, I take a shovel and I dig a hole and they put a plan in there. But he has a title. So the great I am, the God of the universe, is sending you. It's, it's enough said. That should be enough for Moses, right? Nope. Listen to the next excuse. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Okay, I can actually kind of see the reason behind this excuse. I can. How will they really believe that God has sent you? You know, this Moses, is this just some crackpot from the desert? You know, maybe he's been out in the sun too long. 
And we know Aaron, but do we really know Moses? And hey, didn't he murder somebody? Yeah, I think he murdered an Egyptian. Probably not the best guy to go talk to Pharaoh. And here we have Moses. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? What shall I say your name is to the people? Wait, how are they going to believe me? You can see why I'm calling him the reluctant leader. And I'm not sure, but if it was me, and I'm actually talking with the God of the universe, and my stick turns into a snake. By the way, I would want want to catch a snake by its tail, but I guess if the Lord tells you to do that, you do that. But, But then it turns back into a stick, my hand gets leprous, and then it's clean. He says that I can take water from the river and pour it on the ground, it'll turn into blood. And I've just seen these first two miracles happen, so I know I can bank on the third. I think that would have been enough. I hope that would have been enough for me. But Moses has one more excuse. In Exodus 4, 10 through 12, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. Moses is saying, I'm not a good public speaker. You know, I freeze up and I stammer when I'm in a group larger than two. And you know this about me. You know how I struggle. You know how hard it is for me. It reminds me of those excuses I used to make when I didn't want to mow the grass or something as a kid. I could come up with all these excuses. You know, it's, it's rained recently. And I would give my lame excuses until my dad would finally say, enough. Now get to it. And I knew what that meant. I knew that I had better get moving or there would be consequences. Now Moses obviously did not have a father like mine. Maybe Pharaoh's daughter pampered him too much. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't required to do tasks that he didn't like. Or maybe he was just so frightened. But whatever the reason, Moses gives his final plea to the Lord in Exodus 4.13. But he said, Oh my Lord, please, send someone else. Please, Lord, not me. There has to be somebody better than me. Send them. I don't think that Moses at that point realized that God had just said, enough, now go. Have you heard the Lord speak to you recently? Maybe you delayed, or maybe you ignored it. You know, I know the Lord is telling me to do this, I don't really want to. I don't feel like it. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to apologize. I don't want to admit I was wrong. Be careful. Because Moses had to face consequences. Let's look at those consequences. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. 
You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. You know, growing up, I always knew when I went too far. And my own kids were always testing limits of what they could get away with. But God is done at this point with Moses' excuses. But here's the thing. Moses' message and his words to the Israelite people will be filtered through the words of his brother. Through Aaron's phrases. Have you ever played that game where someone whispers a message into somebody's ear and then they message they pass that message along to person to person. It goes all the way around the room and it gets to the last person and they give the message and it's nothing like the original message. Moses, I'm sure at some point, gave Aaron a message and Aaron in his eloquence kind of changed or tweaked that message. It was a little different. But that was his consequence. And I think because of this double Moses and Aaron, the Lord says, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to say. God needed to work in both men to make sure his message was clear. So my bird's eye view of the burning bush is that Moses has settled into this life in Midian. And even though it isn't the best life, it's comfortable. It's safe. Egypt and his people, the Israelites, they're in the past. But God suddenly and miraculously interrupts Moses' life and he calls him to action. And Moses is reluctant. Who am I? Who am I? I don't even have a name to give them. They probably won't believe me. You know, I've never been able to speak well. And finally, wouldn't it be better for everyone if you sent someone else? Anyone else? But God had a purpose and plan for Moses. He had a plan to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And he gives the whole plan to Moses, whom he's chosen. And he says that he will be with Moses. And he's God. He performs miracles. He is the creator of all things. Nothing is impossible for him. His word will be done. And his purposes will be accomplished. He is God. Now this morning, for the most of this message, I've beat up on Moses. But as we go through Exodus, we see that Moses was forged by the trials of his journey into one of the greatest leaders of the Bible. So how does that apply to us today? God has a purpose and plan for your life. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Frederick Douglass was born into slavery in America. He was separated from his mother at an early age. His master's wife taught him the alphabet and some basic words. 
And then the husband stopped her. So he taught himself to read and write. Taught himself to read and write in secrecy. When he was caught, he was punished, severely beaten. He tried to teach other slaves, and he would get caught and beaten. Then finally, he realized he needed to escape. He made several attempts each time he was caught and beaten, but he eventually escaped, and he became the leader of the abolitionist movement. And he gained notoriety for his dazzling oratory. He was just a tremendous speaker in his anti-slavery writing. He traveled to Ireland and Great Britain, and he was so popular in his lectures that it was said that the facilities were often crowded to suffocation. He's best known for his autobiography, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. In his time, it was so eloquently written that contemporaries did not believe that it had been written by a black man. Because of the abolitionist movement, men, women, and children were freed from the bondage of slavery. God had a purpose and a plan for Frederick Douglass. I know the story of a reluctant pastor, and it was in my own family, my Uncle Talmadge. I mentioned that my father and my uncle both served in World War II. My uncle was older, so he went into the Army, and he was in a supply company. And so they would bring munitions and supplies to the front lines. And his supply company was one of those companies that kind of chased Patton across Europe. And finally, Patton was in the outskirts of Germany, and they were in the German countryside, very close to where fighting was still going on. And my uncle went into a barn with a couple of his buddies, and they were playing cards. And at a certain point, my uncle suddenly felt thirsty. And he's like, I think I remember there's a well on the far side of the property. And he said, guys, just, just deal me out of this hand. Uh, I'm going to go find that well and get a drink of water. So my uncle left the card game, left the barn, and traveled across the property until he got to the well. The moment he got to the well, a bomb dropped on the barn, killing everyone inside. And my uncle got to his knees by that well, and he said, Lord, if you'll get me safely home, I'll devote my life to you. But when he got home, he started dating, married a girl, did what most GIs did, started working. He was reluctant to follow up on his call. But an interesting thing happened. Almost every job that he got, something went wrong. I remember my dad telling me that at one, and he finally got a construction job, and he broke a dump truck. He said, I don't know how he did it. But the foreman just said, let's just, just leave and don't come back. So he finally said, all right, I'm through running, Lord. I'm, I'm going to dedicate my life to you. And he, he went to Furman University to start into ministry. Now, here's what you don't know about my Uncle Talmadge. He was painfully shy. 
When he told people that he was going into ministry, they said, well, how are you going to preach? Because you don't talk. But the Lord put the words in his mouth. And my uncle married my Aunt Gracie. And she stuttered all her life. My oldest cousin said they were the two most unlikely people to ever go into ministry. And yet they flourished. They did so well that they could never retire. My uncle would retire and say, I'm just going to be an interim. And he would be an interim and they would call him to be lead pastor. And finally he got to the point and he said, well, you know, as long as the Lord keeps me going, I will continue to be a pastor. His health finally failed him at the age of 89. He retired from the pastorate. I talked to him not long after that, and he said, you know, Bubba, he said, it wasn't always easy. He said, but I've had the most incredible, blessed life serving my Lord. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Are we going to make excuses? Are we going to hear God's voice and follow his plan? Are we willing to give up our own plans? You know, there'll be a cost. It, it won't always be easy. There'll always be trouble in this life. But how much better to be in the center of God's will? You know, when you do a message like this and you look at all these excuses, you, you kind of come under conviction. And I'm going to ask the our worship team to go ahead and start making their way up front. So I came under this conviction as I was going through this message. And, and basically, as I'm looking at Moses' life and all his excuses, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, have I made excuses? So here's the question that bubbled up inside of me. And I want to share that conviction with you this morning. And here's the question. When was the last time you witnessed to someone? We have a lot of excuses. I'm comfortable with our relationship. I, I don't want to mess that up. I'm not an evangelist. Who am I? Sound familiar? Who am I to witness? We're children of the Most High God. And we were bought with the price of Jesus, his death on the cross. I, I don't know enough about God. What if they ask a question I don't know? What if they ask some deep theological issue? Well, you know that he is the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He is the I am, the great I am. What if they don't believe me? What if they're skeptical about God? Why don't you tell them about his miracles? And start with that miracle of your testimony. How God did a miracle in your heart and changed you from the inside out. Tell them how you now have a relationship with the Lord. How much he loves you and how much he loves them. You know, I need to have one of those tracks or a gospel plans. I, I don't have the words. I don't have an eloquent presentation. I'm not a good communicator. 
believe that God gently says, enough. Now go, witness, tell your story, for I'll be with you. Who made the tongue? I'll put my words in your mouth. Far too often we've said, I've said, please, Lord, send someone else. We have that bird's eye view. We know how the story ends. We know the Israelites were rescued by the mighty hand of God. The entire nation passed through the Red Sea. And we know that Jesus is coming back. From the looks of things, probably soon. What if it's today? Don't resist God's plans and purposes for your life. Join Him and be able to look back over your life like my uncle and say, it's been an incredibly blessed life to serve my Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, there is such a sweetness to being in the center of your will. To know that we're working hand in hand with you. And Lord, we know that you can put words in our mouth. And we know, Lord, that whatever we're going through, that you see us, that you know us, that you know our hearts. Father, I pray for those that are going through a hard time that you carry them. You carry them through this time, letting them know that you're with them. Father, I pray for our lead pastor, Joe, and his heart which has so much love for us here at River Bluff. So, Father, I place his heart in your hands, and I ask, Lord, that you, you help with that repair of the aortic valve, that you guide the hands of those physicians. Lord, that you're with him in his healing, that you're with his family, with Kathy. Lord, that you just give them that peace, that knowledge, that you're there with them. Father, help us to walk away from excuses. Help us this morning to follow the plans and purposes that you have for our life. In Jesus' name.